You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jaden. So every time I hear this passage, I always laugh because I was in seminary more than a decade ago, and we're in preaching class. And you know how this is. I had a friend in preaching class. His name's Adam. And I was reading this passage, and Jaden read it so well when he said that a furious squall came up. Uh, I will let you know that on that day, what came out of my mouth was a furious squirrel. And you know how this is. When you're with someone who knows you well, You just get the giggles, and so I will tell you the grade that I got on that sermon. Not as high in the alphabet as I was hoping uh, based on that. So every time I come to that, uh, that picture is funny. Uh, A couple things uh, tonight as we jump into uh, Mark chapter 4. A couple things you have to learn in life. One of the things you have to learn in life is that it's not polite to invite yourself over. Uh, Something that kids have to learn is that it's not polite to invite yourself over. They're tempted to do this, and let's just be honest, some adults also need to learn that lesson. You wait for someone to invite you to a birthday party, to some kind of gathering. Uh, Lesson number two that you have to learn is that it's also impolite to ask other people what they're getting you for your birthday. Uh, This is something else that, you know, kids just have, oh, I don't know, a little more gumption than some of us older people. And so they're very comfortable with just asking, so what do you get me for my birthday? If in the Jewish mind, in the Hebrew mind, something else that you had to learn was that you don't cross the Sea of Galilee at night. Uh, The Sea of Galilee was a very treacherous place. Uh, It was a place where you saw storms show up like immediately. It's not in the forecasts. They would just show up unannounced. And the reason for that, there's an atmospheric reason for that. Uh, The Sea of Galilee sits 700 feet below sea level. And the Sea of Galilee is also surrounded by mountains. And so if you know anything about when you're at a lower elevation, there's this warm air that would be present there in the Sea of Galilee. And then you had the cool air that was coming down. I don't know why I'm doing this. I think this is sign language for mountains. It's because there's a circular mountain range around the Sea of Galilee. I'm just going to take my hand and put it in my pocket. So that warm air and that cool air combined and created habit. So little Jewish boys and little Jewish girls learned that you don't mess with the Sea of Galilee. Now they also believed that underneath of the Sea of Galilee is actually where monsters live. So we may think like, oh, monsters live in your closet or they live underneath the bed. 
or they show up when you're watching a scary movie in your home alone. Have they experienced that? Like you're watching something scary and all of a sudden you don't want to leave the couch. Even if you're 45 years old, it still happens to you. Lights help you not be so afraid. Daniel chapter 7, if you're like, where do you get that? Daniel chapter 7 talks about four beasts that came from underneath of the sea. And so this is a place of fear. This is the place of chaos, but it's the place that Jesus chooses to spend time with his disciples. He's been teaching, he's been ministering, he's been performing miracles, and then he takes them in a boat onto this place that's really scary, onto this really chaotic environment. In verse 35, says something really interesting. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, let us go to the other side. Eight simple words. Let's go to the other side. And I think those eight words are words that if you follow Jesus for long enough, he will say to you and he will say to me, not just this side of the lake to the other side of the lake. But I think Jesus would desire to take me and to take you on the other side of anger. So instead of anger defining your life, I'm not talking about just feeling anger. I'm talking about it being the all-encompassing experience that you have day in and day out. I'm talking about just like waking up angry. I'm talking about going through the day angry. I'm talking about laying down at night angry and then the next day starts over in that same soup. Jesus like, oh, I want to take you to the other side of this deal. Because I don't want you to live in that space. I think Jesus would desire to take us on the other side of judgment. That instead of the place and the way that we show up in the world is that we just size people up. You know, at a swimming pool, there's, you know, a measuring line to figure out who gets to go down the slide and who doesn't. And you know how this is, and you're a little kid, and this is the place where you, like, puff yourself up so that you can measure up. And then we judge who gets to go down and who doesn't get to go down. Jesus, I think, would be glad to say to the church tonight, Dave, I, I want to take you on the other side of judgment. Like, I don't want you to show up in the world like that. I, I don't want that to be the thing that you do. I don't, I don't want you to size yourself up. In every space that you enter, you try to figure out if you're tall enough. I don't want you to spend your life sizing other people up if they're tall enough or if they know enough or if they've arrived enough. I want to take you on the other side of judgment. I think Jesus would be pleased to say to you and to me, I want to take you on the other side of comparison. I don't want you to 
use that as the kind of measuring stick to compare your experience to someone else's experience or compare where someone else might find themselves in life to where you find yourself in life. I want to take it to the other side. I think Jesus would be pleased to say to me and to say to you, like, I want to take you to the other side of shame. So instead of shame being the predominant experience of my life, shame meaning not that I feel bad about something that I did or something that happened, but shame being more about seeing myself as bad and unworthy of love. I want to take you to the other side. See, following Jesus, life with God, isn't about just getting out of here and getting somewhere else. But it's about being changed. It's about being transformed over and over in the scriptures. We see God saying to his people, let's go to the other side. Hey, Abraham, let's go to the other side. Let's go to this land that I'm going to show you. Hey, hey Moses, Let's go to the other side. Like this guy, Pharaoh, who is locking up my people, Israel, and is telling them where to go and what to do and how to think and how to show up in life. I want you to go tell him to let my people go because I want to take them to the other side, out of Egypt into the promised land out of the land of suffering and into the land that the scripture talks about is flowing with milk and honey. Some of you, if that's never been a powerful metaphor for you, it's been like, well, how about like Diet Coke and tortilla chips? Uh, But milk and honey in the scriptures in the ancient world, those are symbols for prosperity. And you're like, yeah, that sounds right. Diet Coke and tortilla chips, prosperity. Jesus would be glad to say to his disciples and to me and to you, hey, let's go to the other side of death so that when death happens, it's not the last thing, that there's life after death. Because what if death is not the definitive experience of what it means to be human? What if death doesn't have the last word? What if death doesn't get to title all of the chapters? What if death doesn't get to tell the story? Will you come with me to the other side? Verse 35, let us go to the other side. I wonder what God would say is his experience of you when he says that in your life. Let's go to the other side. All right, I wonder if he would say of us that we are willing to go with him to the other side. I wonder if he would say to us, you sort of fight that. Uh, I have a 10-pound now wiener dog, and I'm not going to pick on him today, but I will tell you something about him. He does not like to go for walks 
when it's wet. They don't like it. And to be fair, I wouldn't like to crawl on my hands and knees either in the wetness. So I totally get it. But I would tell you my experience of Diego when I take him for a walk and the concrete is wet is that he lets me know that he's not into it because he does that when I'm like inviting him to walk along. And I just have to wonder sometimes when Jesus says to me, sometimes when Jesus says to you, hey, let's go to the other side. It's like, nah, I'm good. I'd rather stay here. So Jesus, after a time of teaching and of healing, is standing in a boat with his disciples and is like, hey, let's go to the other side. And so they're going to the other side. And then there's a furious squirrel. I mean, a furious squall that comes up. A storm out of nowhere. And of course, a storm out of nowhere. Why? Because the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. And don't forget about the mountains. And so all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a storm. And sometimes we read this passage and people are like really hard on the disciples. They're like, man, aren't these people fishermen? Like, what are they so afraid of? Like, why are they scared? And the truth of this passage is they're not afraid because they've never experienced the power of the Sea of Galilee. They're terrified because they know intimately the power of the Sea of Galilee. It's precisely because they have experienced the teeth of it. They know what it can do and what it can produce. And so sometimes the scariest thing is not something that we haven't experienced. The scariest thing is experiencing something again because we know the pain of it. We know the darkness of it. We know the hardship of it. And it's interesting because Jesus is asleep, Mark tells us, that he's propped up with a pillow, which is like one of my favorite images for Jesus, to be honest. Just shows his humanity. And it's interesting, the disciples' response, isn't it? It's always struck me that the disciples don't come to Jesus with something to ask him. Like, like they don't come to Jesus and they're like, hey, there's a storm here. Like, could you, you know that thing that you did yesterday with the guy in the eyeball that was weird? and you've healed it. Remember, like, we were at church, and there's the guy with the withered hand, and then we were at church that other time, and there was a demon possessed. Remember, like, those things? Remember Peter's mother-in-law? And you just, like, picked her up, and she was healed, and then she made you a sandwich. You remember all of this stuff? No, it's interesting, the disciples, they don't ask Jesus to do something. Let's look at what actually happens. Verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, 
don't you care if we drown? Teacher, don't you care if we drown? The disciples aren't asking Jesus to do anything. They're instead, they're questioning why he doesn't really seem motivated to do anything about the storm. Do you have someone in your life that when they walk, they're very motivated going from point A to point B? Do you have someone in your life that's very not motivated walking point A to point B? The disciples are coming to Jesus and they're asking him, why don't you care about this? They're not coming to him, asking him to show up, asking him to do something, asking him to powerfully speak into the experience. They're like, why are you not motivated? Why don't you care? And I think Mark is winking at us that when we come to God in prayer, like let's be people who ask him to move. Let's not come to God in prayer presupposing that he doesn't really care about what's unfolding. Like, let's ask him. Ask him to move. Ask him to heal. Ask him to restore. Ask him to bring peace. And then Jesus responds. And Jesus asks them a question. He's like, hey, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you not have faith? And it's interesting in the scriptures, you know, reading the scriptures sometimes can be a little bit like reading a text message. Like we're not really sure of the tone. And sometimes it's not just the music, but it's the lyrics behind the music. You know what I mean? In this moment, when we read words of Jesus, be careful that you are not projecting anger into the heart and into the mouth of Jesus. Because you could read this moment like that, like sassy Jesus, angry Jesus. That's the lyrics behind the music. What if this is curious Jesus? What if he's like, hey, why are you so afraid? What's your fear connected to? And why is he saying that? He's saying that because he told them what was going to happen. Hey, we're going to the other side. Let us go. Like trust what, that what I have said is coming to pass. That's the power of the resurrection. What's the, what's the resurrection proof of? The resurrection is proof that we can trust the stuff that God says. Because if Jesus says he's going to the cross and then he's going to die and then he's going to be raised to life and he doesn't do it, what does any of the stuff that he's taught mean? But if Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised to life, and then it actually happens it powers everything else that he said. So come with me. I'm going to take you to the other side. And you can trust that what I have told you is true. Because of resurrection, 
So church, when you see a cross, there's a wonderful elementary school kid in our church who gave me this green cross a few weeks ago, and it's bedazzled with jewels. And it's in my office, on my desk. And to me, it's a picture of the God who keeps his promises. So when you're driving this week by a church and you see a cross, I'd love for you to remember the way in which God takes us to the other side. To the way in which he keeps his promises. Even when you're like, um, hello, there's a furious storm going on. Jesus is like, hey, I know. What's your fear connected to? What's the story you're telling yourself? What's the lie that you're believing? The evil one would love you to to receive the lie that you are all alone and that this is the end. I believe that's the lie that he was desiring to plant into the minds and hearts and lives of the disciples. You're all alone and this is the end. But because of resurrection, we know that it's not. And then the last thing that we're going to talk about. Verse 40, why are you so afraid? This is Jesus wanting to shape how the disciples are thinking about faith. Part of what I find so beautiful about the gospel is not that, ju- that Jesus has promised to be with us. Sometimes like that's the thing we sort of go to first. Like Jesus has promised to be with us. It's, can I tell you, it's actually more beautiful than that. It's actually more powerful than that. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus has promised to be within us. More than just with us. More than like just around. Like he's here somewhere. And it's like, no, he's within. So Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 verse, verse 15, May the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Not, hey, may the peace of Christ like be around you somewhere. Like, I cannot find the microphone I was supposed to use tonight. I put it somewhere. I have no idea where it is. It could be in the bathroom. It could be down in the kids' area. It's somewhere. Taylor, bless his heart, was helping me in the kitchen trying to find it. No idea where it is. And can I just tell you that sometimes that's how we think of God? Man, like, he's here somewhere. I know it. Haven't seen him in a while. Haven't talked to him in a while. And he wants to go, hello. I'm within you. I'm not just with you, I'm within you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, Paul says. I'm going to invite the band up as we close tonight. Common implication to this story, and you've maybe heard this before, is that if Jesus can calm the storm on the Sea of Galilee, he can calm the storm in you. I guess I'm the only one that's ever heard that before. So, But that's common language around this story. What's interesting is that that's not really what Mark is wanting to say to us at all, if you kind of trace the story. So the story starts with a great storm, and then there's great calm that comes over it because he tells the water and the wind to cease, to stop. 
In the original language, it's this phrase, be muzzled. That's enough. That's enough now. I told you once. And then you would think, oh, so there's a great storm. There was great calm. And then the disciples experienced great peace. But that's not the response of the disciples. If you read the story, is it? Like there's a great storm, there's great calm, and then there's great fear. Oh, so that's a little different. That's maybe turns the story in a way I wasn't expecting. So today, Jesus silencing the natural storm on the sea actually ignited a spiritual storm in the hearts of the disciples. They're freaked out. They're freaked out because they're like, who is this guy? That even the wind and the waves obey him. It's not that, oh, he, Peter's like, oh, praise God. He calmed the sea so he can calm me. No, that's great on a bumper sticker. But I'm not sure it actually works out there. But Peter's like, he freaks me out. <laughs> Who even is this? And I've spent my whole life on this side of things. I've spent my whole life learning about fish and nets and boats and weather patterns and taking the fish to market and getting paid and bringing it home and then doing it again. And this Jesus wants to take me on the other side, and I'm not really sure that I want to go. And Thomas is there. And Thomas is like, man, me too. I, be, I don't know how I feel about going to the other side because I'm really comfortable being here. Judas is also there. I don't know, Jesus. I don't know that I, like, I really want to go. So my whole life on this side of things, but he's inviting me to go with him to the other side. And they're freaked out. Because even the wind and the waves obey him. So what am I going to do with that? That's the implication. It doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. But I think it's probably a little more honest to the scriptures. What am I going to do with him? This God was come not just to be with me, but within. You know, it's interesting, the, the Bible begins in a garden that we know as Eden. And the Bible ends in a city. You ever notice that? Like this city that's called the New Jerusalem. Not the old Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. So begins in the Garden of Eden, this wonderful garden, and then ends in the city, the new Jerusalem. And what's in the middle? Between the garden and the new Jerusalem, the city, there's something that Hebrew people would refer to as Midbar. And what's Midbar? Midbar is a desert. So in between the garden and the city is Midbar. And they use that as a picture for life with God. A place of struggle, a place of uncertainty, a place of storms. And it's precisely because 
of this God who calls obedience forth out of the winds and the waves, that when you're in the midbar, you're choosing to trust and you're willing to go on the other side. And so I don't know where you find yourself tonight. I don't know what you're processing. I've got some good guesses. But I would tell you that I think that God wants to do something with us. I think he wants to take us maybe to a place we're not real comfortable with in our own life. That sounds like Jesus, the Jesus that I know. The Jesus I know is not the guy that solves everything for me. He's not the the Grubhub delivery guy. You don't even have to get out of your house, man. Here's supper. But it's more like, why are you so afraid? Let's go to the other side. Because the more deeply, Dave, you love me, the more loosely you will hold on to your own way. The more deeply you love me, the more loosely you'll hold on to your own way. And I get excited about thinking about that as a church. That the more deeply we love God, the more loosely we might hold on to doing things our own way. Because it's not just the disciples that are hearing from Jesus, let's go to the other side. I think he's saying that to us tonight too. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.